Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dentistry Unmasked. I'm Dr. David Rice. I'm here today with my partner in crime, as usual. Hey, Dr. Pam Maragliano-Muniz. Pam, how are you today? I'm doing really well, and I am thrilled to be spending this time with one of my absolute faves, one of the best contributors to DE. And if I went, if we read your bio, we'd be here the whole time. So we can't really do that, but you don't need to, because you don't really need an introduction. Dr. Roger Levin, welcome. Thank you. I am so excited to be here with you all. And I've been looking forward to this all week. I love I've it. I've been looking forward to it too. Me too. I, Roger, I learned so much from you. Every uh, Give me five minutes with you and I feel like I just got five years worth of education. So I, I, we've got a really cool topic today, don't we, Pam? We certainly do. So buckle up because you're going to get a lot of information really, really quickly and it's all really good. Today's topic is, is fee-for-service right for you? And is it right for everyone? So it seems, Roger, that fee-for-service is sort of like this, this pinnacle. Like if you become fee-for-service, you've arrived, you know, all of a sudden your dentistry is good enough. Your customer service is good enough so that patients will pay you your full fee, but is it really a reality? What's the scoop with fee-for-service and is it really right for everyone? Well, I think that's a really great question. And you have to go back sometimes and look historically. So the first question I would address is, well, how did we get here? And Pam, the answer, you know, I came out as, I'm a, I'm a general dentist. I was 10 years full-time while I was building uh, our consulting firm. And, you know, so I've lived the life of, de of dentists, so I really get it. And when I came out in 1982, despite as young as I look, um, the reality was you did not have to participate with insurance. It was merely a choice. Reimbursements were really good. It seemed like a good way to build a practice for many people, but if you chose not to, you did not have to participate. And of course, as many things happen in life, the tail begins to wag the dog, insurance became more prominent, it became an addiction. Uh, you know, like, like, like you know, the two biggest addictions in the world are heroin and a monthly paycheck, and insurance contributed to the monthly paycheck. And next thing you know, you've, you're 25, 30, 35% insurance-based, for your revenue and you really no longer can just step out without severe harm. So insurance became more and more prominent as it did. It also then began cost containment. Now, just as an aside, dentistry, in my opinion, has always had managed care because my definition of managed care is cost containment. And when you look at dental insurance versus medical insurance, we have always had cost containment in two ways. First, the maximums. They've barely gone up in the last 30 years. In real dollars, we're at about one-fifth the value of the maximums 30 years ago. So the, the purchasing power of a patient today is actually about 20% of what it was 30 years ago in, in what we call real dollars. And secondly, patients became the cost containment wardens because they've got co-payments in many cases. So patients have to decide, you know, Pam, David, we're all dentists, as you know, we give them a fee and then the next question is how much does my insurance cover? The real question is how much will I be out of pocket? And the only reason dentistry has not been severely afflicted by this is that the data shows that 81% of general dental appointments are single tooth treatment. Now, 
And that's been stable for the last 20 years that we've been tracking that. What that means is most, most dental procedures are relatively small, a few hundred dollars or less, and patients are pretty accepting of that. It's when you get over 1500 that everything begins to fall off. So I've met, like you have, so many dentists. We get calls at Living Group and emails, can I go fee for service? Which, by the way, is not the question you want to ask. You need to start with analyzing your practice, not just can I go fee for service. It's a, it's a dangerous question. And the reason is dentists resent insurance companies. We resent anything that lowers our fees. We feel like when our fee is lowered, we're not being valued. We're not being properly compensated. Uh, and also during the pandemic, many insurance companies actually lowered their reimbursement. So inflation is up. Um, you know, the cost of staffing is up on average 10% and never going back down again. And yet insurance companies are coming in and saying, I'm lowering reimbursements. When I lecture, I always ask the audience, how many of you have had an insurer lower your reimbursements in the last year? And I easily get 25% of the audience hands going up. So I don't think fee for service though, now to get back to your question, sorry for that long-winded historical explanation. I don't think fee for service is a pinnacle. I think it's a model. You know, we look at dental practices and we're not McDonald's. You know, David's in been in practice, you're in practice, Pam. I've been in practice. There's no reason that we should all try to be the same. We have clients. You know, the nice thing about having clients is I have to live in the real world. In other words, I I, I can't just give theory and go away. Then, then, then we have to see if it actually works. And I have clients who are all insurance-based and have a net income of a million dollars a year. I have clients who are all fee-for-service and have a net income of $600,000 a year. And I've got the reverse. I have insurance practices that are a total disaster. And I fee-for-service, it's a disaster. The one caveat I'll throw in for later is that every fee-for-service practice does have an affliction. And that affliction is you will lose patients every year. And you'll lose more patients in a challenging economy. And the patients love you. They love your dentistry. They love your customer service. But they make a decision to go where their insurance is accepted. So if you don't keep replenishing the patient population in a fee-for-service practice, or you're not in an underserved area where there's high demand for dental services, then that, that's one of the challenges. So fee-for-service is not a pinnacle. It's not the greatest way to practice or the worst way. You know, someone doing it might think it's the greatest way, but it's a model. Just like McDonald's before 2004, uh, I, I study McDonald's because many years ago it was a case study at a Harvard Business School program, and I've been tracking them ever since. So in 04, they put in salads and everybody said, oh, they're getting healthier. It wasn't about healthier salads at a 400% higher profit margin than burgers, okay? Now they don't have salads. So what's right or wrong? Neither, it's business model. The thing a dentist really has to watch out for is getting into insurance absent-mindedly. Well, I'll take this plan and I'll take that plan. The next thing they know, their 35% of their revenue comes from insurance-based uh, payments and now they built a model without realizing it that very often it's really hard to convert that model to something else. So I, I do warn about that danger. 
and it's an unconscious factor of just signing up. A lot of young dentists go into practice and they take everything or they buy a practice and they sign up for every insurance, not realizing you may not be able to get out of that model very easily down the road or without financial pain. So there's a, there, there's my view. It's, it's a model, not a pinnacle. Would you say that sometimes we either opt into insurance or out of insurance as part of an emotional decision? And how do we, you know, I know that I get mad and I kind of want to drop things. I mean, I, I think we all kind of, yeah. you know, tend to have that knee jerk reaction. Do you think that that is the case? And how do we kind of put that on the shelf and really make the right decision for our business? Yeah. And I'm going to answer you with my consulting background, because one of the worst questions we get, and, and I love questions. People call here with all kinds of questions. We're always happy to help uh, just advise, even if they're not our clients, you know, I'm dedicated to helping improve our profession and education. But one of the worst calls I get is, Roger, I need consulting. I dropped out of all my insurance six months ago, and now I'm not doing very well. And the reason is we're dentists, you know, I, people make fun of us for not understanding business. It would, which is really silly because it'd be like us making fun of business people for not understanding dentistry. We are really specialized in dentistry and we don't have a business background to build on. So emotion is very dangerous. Pam, I always say the worst decisions you ever make in life, and I mean this, are emotional decisions. Um, and I call these 2% decisions. 2% of the decisions we make if you in life, if you get them wrong, are going to really hurt you. So my rule on 2% decisions is always get an expert to help you. Um, you know, if you're buying a house, get an attorney. Don't rely only on the broker who's waiting to get commission one way or another. Uh, you know, if, if, <laughs> if, you get, if, if you get into malpractice, you call your insurance company, you have to, but they've got attorneys. So if you are looking at dropping out of insurance, you need an analysis. Now, if it's 2% of your revenue, yeah, go ahead and drop out. No big deal. I can replace 2% with my eyes closed. That's, that's really easy. If it's 20%, because you're mad at, uh, I won't name names, but one of the big four that just lowered your reimbursement, and I'm going to drop out because I'm mad, you may have made a serious mistake. And I'm not making an emotional judgment. I'm making a mathematical financial judgment. So I think a lot of dentists do make emotional decisions. I, I've had clients where they've called us with that call. I dropped out six months ago. My revenue's down 30%. The first thing we do is put them back in. You know, yes, we can work later to get you out of it, but let, let's stabilize first and let's get a plan. If your practice is declining, get stable first, and then let's get a plan going forward because a lot of dentists do get mad at insurance companies and drop out and think it's going to be better, they don't realize. I estimate you'll lose about 50% of your insured patients when you drop out of a plan, but that's still going to hurt you. So you have to determine how big is that 50%. Is it 100 patients or 700 patients? So yes, Pam, I, I think we make a lot of bad emotional decisions because we don't know how to analyze uh, the overall situation. I, I teach an insurance analysis process that every practice should go through at least once a year. I I love that that point, Roger. In that um, one, 
logic over emotion is the is the origin story of the victory but if you've made an emotional choice and dropped it's okay in fact it's the right move to make to come back and make a logical decision to to maybe get back in based on the analysis and the numbers yep. for your practice and i think that's where we have to check our egos as dentists and say I make I made a mistake. Um, I yeah. can I can turn back the clock by by jumping back in and, and you know getting my my ship stable as you mentioned. I think that's a really important point for us to know. Well, David, thank you. If you like that, I'm going to give you the converse because I've also seen that nobody thinks about. I've seen dentists who slow down. You know, DSO opens near them, or they get competition, or the economy slowed down. We're seeing a little bit of it right now, and in the pandemic, we saw it. They run to sign up for plans, they jump into plans, the opposite of getting out. But I've seen practices where you jump into plans and you then lose profit mm -hmm. because what they didn't analyze, how many patients in my practice are in that plan, how many new patients would I have to get to offset that? They don't get enough new patients from the plan, but the patients in the practice that had the plan are now at lower reimbursement. So they're actually losing money. So. The first rule of any major decision is analysis, and the second is get an expert to look at it with you because uh, you need objectivity. As Pam said, you know, emotion uh, is a very dangerous thing in, the, in business. I would also think this is a weird time to make a decision in the sense that, you know, it, it's 2023. 2020, many of us did really well, despite being closed for a chunk of time. Many of us, 2021 was a fantastic year, sort of as a rebound from the pandemic. Did that give us a false sense of security, thinking that, you know, we're kind of riding high, maybe now's the time to drop? Oh my God, Pam, what's worse than a false sense? What, what words are worse than a false sense of security? It, we worked so hard to explain to dentists, and of course, through my articles in Dental Economics, and by the way, I'm just going to say, you are doing one fantastic job as editor. And David, you're, you know, anybody like you who's contributing to the betterment of dentistry, I just have such respect. So I thank you both for what you do. But 2021, dentists operate, and maybe everybody does. I, I only know dentistry. With whatever's going on today, will just continue indefinitely. You know, just yeah, if it's bad, it's going to be horrible the rest of my life. If it's good, it'll be good the rest of my life. In psychology, uh, they refer to this as the three P's, which are uh, pers personalization, pervasiveness, and permanence. We just think whatever's going on will continue indefinitely. But 2021 was an off the charts, the greatest year dentistry's ever had, but not for any normal reasons. It was, a, it was a pent up demand year. It was a rebound year. Americans had so much money from not as much from the government, but from saving what they weren't spending in four traditional areas, luxury, travel, entertainment, and restaurants. So they were spending it in dentistry. Lots of our clients had patients say, oh, three years ago, you recommended, let's do that now. We had to explain to everybody that 2022 was most likely not to be as good as 21. And that wasn't necessarily bad unless you dropped off more than you should have. So 2020 is a year we don't even look at because the, the data is so skewed, you can't figure it out. 2021 was a record year where people got a very false sense of security as dentists. They spent money they shouldn't have been spending. They felt flush. 
Uh, hopefully they had higher incomes and put more away. That's a good thing. But we're, we're not back to normal now. We're worse than normal because it's not gloom and doom. We're not falling off a cliff, but the average general practice right now is down by about eight to 10% in production because of the economy. Now that's not terrible. It will bounce back. I read this morning that technically we're back in a bull market for the stock market because we've had a certain number of uh, weeks of growth. Let's hope that continues. But you can't look at 2021 and get any sense of what the world really should be. I would say go back to 2019 at about 3%. Uh, that's where you should be in 2023. The odds are you'll be down a little bit more in 2023 than 2022, um, be, only because this economy is kind of sputtering along in some ways. And patients are pulling back a little bit. We're hearing anecdotally more about no-shows, more about patients uh, leaving the practices, things along those lines. Are you finding that people are dropping more plans? What I'm hearing out there is that despite all of your advice, people are dropping plans, whether it's the right thing or wrong thing, I don't know. And insurance companies are actually starting to get uncomfortable and that's forcing them to actually open, you know, have the conversation about renegotiating their reimbursements. Are you finding that that is the case and dentists are actually able to get better reimbursements? Obviously it'll never be like it was in the eighties, but obviously better than it, it is now. Well, Pam, as you know, I, I love data. So there's no data. So I'm a little bit, I have an answer, but I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not, there's definitely been a small, I call it a micro trend toward dropping insurance. But what I'm not sure of and where I, where I want to be careful is the, the trend, the micro trend is there. I don't know how big it is versus the noise that dental opinion leaders are making. Um, that's David, that's you, that's me, that's, you know, three, 400 other people talking about this. I call that noise, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what's happening. So yes, there are people who've dropped out and I don't really personally participate a lot on Facebook, but I do follow it. I read every day to see, I love to know what people are thinking and saying, but a lot of it is conversation versus action. Uh, amongst our clients, and we have a nice flow that come in regularly, so I get new information all the time, and I can, I can at least say, oh, anecdotally, this looks like A or B. We're not seeing a massive dropping out of insurance, where all of a sudden we got anti-insurance religion and we're all getting out. Um, I, there is some of that, no question. Are insurers willing to have conversations? Yes, but remember, even these companies that negotiate on behalf of practices, uh, I, I wish I have seen better results. You know, maybe for the DSOs, you got one or two or 300 practices. I, I mean, we work with some DSO practices. I know they get better reimbursements, but if you're a one, two, three, four office location or one, two, three, four doctor practice, you've got very limited negotiating power. And the big four don't negotiate with anyone. So you can call, you can threaten, and they're going to hold their position as long as possible because they're afraid if they give David better reimbursements, Pam's going to want them next and word goes out. So, and they, they get to win usually because we're so fragmented. We, 
you know, you've got antitrust laws. David and I are not allowed to get together and say, let's go squeeze the insurance companies and threaten them. We can't do that. But they have a whole different set of laws on their side. So they're going to hold the line as long as they possibly can. I don't know where the inflection point would be, how many thousands of dentists would have to drop out before they will start panicking. So it may be more talk than reality at this point with a little bit of reality. Uh, you know, I, I've definitely seen that to be true too. So, you know, we've talked a lot about data and trends and, and I loved your mention of, hey, you can have a practice on this end of the spectrum and be maybe higher volume with lower reimbursement versus mm -hmm. uh, a quote, you know, fee for service practice. I definitely would love like a little more input on your definition of that as a model, because sure. I think we as a profession maybe have a slightly different one than what reality is. So we talked about the ability to win over here. Where are the where are the danger zones? Are there models out there that that are in the middle where I'm I I participate a little too much or not enough? Like what yeah. there's got to be like a a tipping point where maybe I can get myself into trouble. Yeah, I, I have a favorite, but it's, this is not a recommendation. It is not the way it yeah. should be. Um, I think, and again, I don't want anyone upset with me. Any any model can be successful if you build it sure. properly. But the all fee for service practice scares me because most of them are also based on higher average revenue per patient. You know, we look at statistics all related to production, production, production per patient, production per provider, production per new patient. I study this all the time. And a lot of all fee for service, 100%, no insurance participation practices do larger cases. What worries me, because I've seen this, is if those larger cases go away, you've got a problem. And what, what we, we have not seen, and David, you work with a lot of young doctors, what they have never seen is a down economy. They, even 2008 and nine, the great thing about 08 and 09, the great recession is production dropped 10%, but there was no inflation. So overhead held steady, so it wasn't so bad. Now production's down a little bit, overhead's up a little bit, but we, we don't have a crisis. If we hit a crisis point, if the government hadn't stepped in during COVID, you would have seen a, an economic crisis point. Those fee-for-service practices, some of them would have been in big trouble because nobody was going to do the big cases. So the 100% fee-for-service can absolutely work as a great model, but I like a little bit of insurance. Uh, I'm... <laughs> Even in investing, I'm fairly conservative. So, so I have a bias. My insurance would be a 70-30 model, 70% fee-for-service, 30% insurance reimbursement. But you have, to, you have to look at all the footnotes. My first footnote is when I say 30% insurance-based, and this is just one possible model that's fairly safe, you don't sign up for the really bad plans. So if that 30%, is based on bad plans, that bad meaning reimbursed poorly, then that's not a good model. So it's 70% fee for service, patient pays out of pocket, you help them file their insurance, get their reimbursements, and 30% reasonable average or above average reimbursed plans. Uh, that's a good model. And then if, the if one of the insurers does something horrific, drops your 
reimbursements by 20%, the way one company did in California with specialists earlier this year, uh, then you can say, all right, I'm going to take 10% of this and get rid of those insured, that, that insurance company, and I'll build it back. Um, so that's a safe model. 50-50 uh, is not bad. I've seen dentists do very nicely at 50-50. Um, and again, you can do nicely with anything. I'm not a big fan of the 30% fee-for-service, 70% insurance reimbursed model, because now you're a victim of what they decide to do with the reimbursements. Yeah. So to me, the words fee-for-service do mean that you don't participate with any insurance company. I understand that. But in my mind, if you take a couple of plans that add some insurance and fill in to your overall patient volume, uh, I'm perfectly fine with that. And I, I think of that as a fee-for-service practice. Now, one thing you might not think to ask me that's really interesting, or <laughs> at least I think it is, is should I get rid of that plan? We get calls all the time from people. And dentists call us and they call me with, you know, because we have this tip of the day that goes to 32,000 people every morning. Um, oh, by the way, it's, it's free. I don't sell things in, in podcasts <laughs> or seminars. So, you know, because of that, I get a lot of emails. And I always say to people, if you've got a question, feel free to email. And I'll get an email that says, uh, should I drop out of this plan? Now, they have no other information whatsoever. So my first response is, I need, need some information here. Uh, otherwise, my answer could be very dangerous. But keep in mind that you may hate the reimbursement from a certain plan. Now, remember, you built this model. You got yourself into this, so you need to analyze your way out of it. A bad plan, people will say, well, it only covers overhead. I'm not making any profit. Well, until you figure it out, covering overhead is not so bad. Um, and I'll tell you how I learned about this. I was taking some manufacturing business courses for no particular reason, because I'm all dental but I wanted to understand this better. And there are factories that will take a hundred million dollar job at break even. Now, why would they do that? And the answer was to keep the labor force employed so they didn't have to lay off their skilled labor. Well, it's not the same for dentistry. You're not gonna lay your staff off, but sometimes bad reimbursements that cover overhead are better than losing any contribution to overhead until you figure out how to replace it. And this, we don't think about. We just think about how does this reimbursement compare to my fee? Oh, the gap is too big. I should get rid of that. Wait, wait a minute, your overhead's gonna go up 9% if you don't figure this out. So I just thought I'd throw that in as an extra thought as well, because I never hear anybody talk about it, but financially, it's a very serious factor. And I, I want to make the statement right now, by the way, I'm not pro-insurance and I'm not anti-insurance. When, when you go into consulting, the great thing is you've got to become objective. You've got to put your biases aside and just look at each situation. I think that's an interesting point. And I think that, you know, I was in a CE course and it was like one of the best dentists I've ever encountered. And it was just the most amazing class. And I was listening to every word that was coming out of this man's mouth because I wanted to hear it and know it and like own it. And the guy next to me like slides a note over and he is like, why is he talking about all this science? Just tell me what to do. 
And so that note has stayed with me throughout, I don't know, years now, because I'm like, you know what? Sometimes we just need to be told what to do from somebody who's going to help us make the best decisions. So if we have a question and we want to see if, you know, maybe dropping our plan is the best way to go, how can we find you? Oh, you can find me very easily. Uh, uh, our website is levingroup.com, L-E-V-I-N-G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, and all you have to do is uh, go to send it in through customer service. We respond to everybody with great pleasure. Um, and Pam, I love what you said. Just tell me what to do. But I hold myself, I'll hold David, I'll hold you, I'll hold all of us to that one point Whatever you want to do, do some analysis first. And let me give you some examples because human beings, and I'm one of them, are lazy. Lazy is not a bad thing. I always say to people, use the least amount of energy to get a result you possibly can. Why, why use more energy? So let me give the audience just a few thoughts on analysis because every year you should be looking at the following. Number one, what percentage are... Uh, what percentage of your revenue comes from insurance companies versus total revenue? Uh, it's always against total revenue. Number two, what percentage of each insurance plan's revenue come versus your total revenue? Number three, how many patients in your practice are in plans in which you participate versus all patients? Number four, how many patients from each plan versus your total patients. Number five, they, nobody ever looks at this. This is the key because basically insurance is a volume-based discount. The insurance companies are saying, we'll give you more volume, you give us a discount. And by having volume, you'll make more money. Well, that doesn't always work out. So the next thing you look at is how many new patients did I get from all of the plans in which I participate? The next one, what revenue did we get from all of the new patients from all of the plans in which we participate? And of course, the next one, what revenue did we get from the new patients in each plan in which we participate? If you're not looking at those numbers, you're shooting in the dark. You're, no matter how you wanna cut it, you can call it instinct, intuition, it's just emotion at that point. Um, you can stay out of trouble if you just take time uh, to work through that. If I may, one other really important point to me for our listeners, because I, I care a lot, is retirement. Now, where am I going with retirement? And like, why is he doing this in the middle of a fee-for-service podcast? The average retirement age of a dentist used to be 62. The average retirement age of a dentist today, according to the ADA, is I think it's about 69.8 years of age, according to the Health Policy Institute. Levin Group's data, I always round off, it's about 72 years of age. So we're within a standard deviation. And why am I bringing this up? The model you build as a dentist will determine to some degree when you become financially independent. If we could assume that the average investor of their own investments can get a return of safely of 5% per year, Okay, some people might take risk and get 20. Some might do cryptocurrency and go bankrupt. Uh, <laughs> although there are people who would disagree with me on that. But my point is, you've only most dentists have two sources of nest egg contribution: their income 
and then interest on their investments. And if we could assume in a, in a financial model, your income's gonna be the following for the next six years or five years, and you're gonna get a five or six or percent return on your investments, whatever that may be, some tax-free in a 401k, some not tax-free. It's really important to look at your model because that model could add 10 years of work to your life. My goal, if I meet a dentist, and David, you again, you do such a great job with these young dentists. If I meet a dentist under age 40, I'm pretty convinced we can have them financially independent by the age of 62 if they leave, live a reasonable lifestyle and they invest. And by the way, you guys don't know this. Um, I, I'm actually a registered investment advisor. Uh, I've passed the Series 65 exam. Now, having said that, I'm allowed to, David, I'm allowed to manage your money. I don't manage anybody's money. Nobody call me. I'm not interested. Um, but I wanted to understand better how everything we do in practice management relates back to the arc of financial independence. And I think in the next five years, the average retirement age of a dentist is going to be 75 years of age. So my joke is, if your goal is to die chairside, there's a good chance you might make it. Uh, so this is such an important discussion about models and fee for service and insurance, because what you do wrong will add months or years to your work life, whether you want to or not. So it's really important in your 30s, 40s, 50s to think about, well, what's my revenue model and how does that relate back to my ability to become financially independent? And I never lose sight of that because there are going to be people working a lot longer than they expected and not because they want to. Whoa, friends, um, if you didn't hear that, listen up. What you do today, your model can add too many years to that financial freedom, to uh, living your best life, to having a self-determined future. So know your numbers, unplug emotions, start making your best logical decisions and engage an expert. Roger, you're amazing. Pam, take us home. Yeah, Roger, thank you so much. I have like a page of notes here and don't worry everybody, I'm gonna share um, some of the tidbits that Roger shared, so don't worry. But um, yeah, wow, thank you so much. And I guess I don't wanna speak for David, but I wanna invite you back. I need you back here. <laughs> uh, it would always be an honor. I love working with both of you. And uh, again, your contributions to dentistry are fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. I okay. sincerely appreciate that and I can't, be more thankful for yours and for what you do for dental economics and for our listeners and readers. So everybody for Dentistry Unmasked, we can't wait to see you next week and we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you everyone for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Miragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.